0: And I want to talk to you tonight about this word fellowship that comes out of Acts 2, this passage that we've been in for a couple of weeks. And look at this hopefully from uh, an, an angle that gets us into some practice and into um, some ways that we might consider actually changing and reforming our lives. But I, but I want to start by saying that there is deeply this longing that we have for community. And, and we, we interact with that longing, uh, you know, um, with both resonance, deep resonance, and with resistance. Um, and i would say all of us are are that way there's there's a resonance because actually god made us for community he made us not to be alone he said in genesis 2 it's not good for man to be alone so he made woman and he put them together into a family and this is god's design for humanity is to be connected in meaningful relationships we see that manifest in in all kinds of efforts and movements uh, and social theory and so on from socialism to communism to the hippie movement uh, these are expressions of that deep resonance that we have for relationship, for community. But even while we resonate deeply with this and we long for it, all of us at some level, um, there's also a real sense uh, in which there is resistance to it. Uh, we, we resist true relationship. We resist community um, in some deep ways. There's an indifference oftentimes in the world and, and speaking to us in the privileged um, and affluent, generally west, there's an indifference sometimes to the inequalities of the world and to the needs of brothers and sisters, perhaps around the globe, um, by just a triviality of, of the way that we use resources over here, a kind of normal approach to that. Um, to give you a couple, maybe other expressions of how this resonance and resistance exists, let me say resonance uh, think of the aftermath of 911 of September 11 and the way in which there was a, a, an outpouring of. Of communal sense in our nation um, that was expressed in very tangible ways in giving in um, remembering and these kinds of things or uh, I was down in Mississippi when Hurricane Katrina hit uh, I was a little more intense than uh, Hurricane Irene for us a couple of weeks ago but um, our church became one of these sort of distribution centers of goods in uh, in Jackson Mississippi and um, it was amazing the amount of stuff that just poured in from everywhere. And I think the same thing just happened in Missouri after the tornadoes and so on. So these are, these are um, signs I would give of this, of this resonance that we have to, to be knit together in one family. On the other hand, resistance. Um, Langdon Gilkey wrote a book, Shantung Compound, about an internment camp in China during World War II. And in this internment compound, so these were uh, expatriates who were living in Japan. So when the war broke out, they got put into a camp. And you would think if ever there was a reason to be celebrating the idea of community, it was these people from different nations, all on the Allied sides, who had been thrown together in this camp to, uh, you know, to, to pull together and, and live out a, a communal idea, the ideal. They didn't have... Um, a lot of the outside world to worry about, so they had to develop this community from within. One of the things that Gilkey, who was a young man at the time, he was 24, 25, he went on to be a, a professor at the University of Chicago in theology, but one of the things that he remarks in his book, Shenton Compound, is that um, while people were so so prone or so um, inclined to uh, affirm the values of of community and equality and deference to others when it actually came down to them having to give up their own piece of bread for dinner time or their own extra space in lodging because it was a very cramped place to uh, give somebody else who didn't have as much that space or that bread there was an incredible reluctance to do so Uh, this this kind of uh, just automatic response of resistance so on the one hand resonance yes theory on the other hand resistance in practice um Maybe a much more trivial example of resistance to community was, was when I lived uh, as a young man in a, in a house with a bunch of other men, and I used to let, I, I used to peel my carrots in the sink before I went to work for the day, and I'd leave the carrot peels in the sink. And so, you know, maybe you've had a roommate like that in the past, but um, I didn't really care, and, and they did, and that was a problem. I just, I just saw the resistance in my own life to kind of living out true community um, in my life. Well... Resonance, resistance, the reality is in Acts 2, we see this community ideal expressed in a very powerful way that, that should arrest us a little bit, should stop us in our tracks, and I hope that makes us think um, as we leave this place. You know, God um, exercised judgment upon the nations in Genesis chapter 11. Uh, after... You know, we were made for community, but then we, we started using that to make our name great, and God at Babel exercises judgment and divides us by tongue so that we can't communicate and separates us into different groups and so on and so forth. In Acts 2, uh, Acts 2 is a direct echo to that, that biblical narrative from Genesis 11, where all of a sudden you have people from every different, from all these different nations gathered around Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. And hearing through the power of the Spirit, um, Peter and the apostles speaking the good news of the gospel of what God has done in Jesus to them in their own language. And all of a sudden you have this this reversal of that, um, that centrifugal force of sin that pushes us away from one another, being undone in the power of the Spirit descending and bringing us back together. And so you see that in Acts 2 leading up to this summary section at the end of Acts 2. And then you see Paul, uh, um, Luke, the author of Acts, articulating that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the koinonia, the fellowship. And it's interesting, there are three summaries of the early Christian community in the early chapters of Acts. One in Acts 2 at the end, one at the end of Acts 4, and one about near the beginning of Acts chapter 5. In those three summaries, of the topics that Luke addresses in the three summaries, the topic that's addressed more than any other is the issue of fellowship the issue of 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 true community says something about its importance i mean that's buttressed up against like mighty works and miracles by the apostles by preaching the gospel um, prayer these things but here's this thing fellowship that's finding its way uh, up to the fore in luke's account of the earliest church so we know it's significant we know it's important and i would say simply to bring this to home to to church of the cross you know we we talk about a vision of having a missional family um, and what we mean by that is that we want to embody this biblical ideal of true fellowship uh, in Christ uh, as, as people who live in the city. And we, we mean that, that the city is a lonely place. It's a place where people are busy, people are frazzled, people are frantic. Uh, there, there's just all kinds of stuff going on, and, and In the midst of that there's a deep loneliness and that longing for community is is missing it's not being met and so the church is the place luke is saying to us in in the early chapters of acts and we've picked that up as a community It's a place where that longing for which we were made, that we resonate with deeply, but we resist as well, very strongly. It's a place where that is to be expressed and manifest and displayed before the world. You could say Jesus talks about this in John 13. They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. These kinds of things are are meant to find their fulfillment in the church, the people of God. So what is it? What is the fellowship? They devoted themselves. They had this intentionality about the fellowship. What, What is the fellowship? Um, I know I addressed this briefly last week, but I think I only spent like four minutes on it. I thought it was worth its own time um, to think about this together. What is the fellowship? What is it that the church is called to? Well, it's obviously, it's not just niceties exchanged over a cup of coffee after a service, or it's not. No, now, it certainly could, could be a part of the dinner we're going to have after the service tonight, but it's, it's not just the dinner that we're going to have where you sit down, and in the midst of your crazy busy week, you finally find time to, to look at somebody in the eye and actually talk to them for a little while and then get to know them a little bit more. Certainly that's a part of it, but that's not the extent of what biblical fellowship actually is. So, so what is it? Well, I don't want to define it too specifically because I think this summary section at the end of Acts 2 gives us a pretty broad definition, but it's, in, in, in few words, it's the, it's the common life of the people of God. That they, that they share together. It's the common life of, of the people of God. It's a, it's, it's a word that's used to describe this, this common life that God's people have. And so look, if, I don't know if you've got your Bible, open it up, but these things that, that um, Luke mentions, verse 44, and all who believed were together. So fellowship, the fellowship has something to do with being together, being in proximity with one another, seeing each other on some kind of routine basis. You can't be in fellowship And be an internet only church it just doesn't really work because you can be that in your own room by yourself it's it's being together they were together um they had uh they ate together it says in verse 46 they were breaking bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts so you know fellowship includes some kind of eating together now eating together for us is significant and and we say it's significant as a community eating together in the first century was even more significant it represented a solidarity um, a connectedness. Table fellowship meant everything. That's why Jesus had so many meals with so many people who were on the outside to show that, no, I'm in solidarity with these people. Table fellowship meant something. And so, this early Christian community practicing the fellowship was eating together. You know, we should be eating together, in neighborhood groups throughout the week, having dinner in our homes, sharing life together over the sustenance of life, which is food and drink. So, they ate together, they prayed together, they worshiped together they cared for one another. So you get this idea of a a community that there was lots of caring and and, and sharing and eating and drinking and rejoicing and praying. They did these things together. But I want to focus on verse 45, well, the end of verse 44 and verse 45, to draw out maybe something a little bit more um, significant. It says that, he, he says that they had all things in common. They had all things in common. Um, the, the word common and the word fellowship are related, koinonia and, and koina. Um They're related together in the Greek. So they had all things in common. And then it says in verse 45, And they were selling their possessions and their belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So there was something beyond just a kind of a party atmosphere in the earliest church. There was something beyond just a getting to know one another, but there was a sense in which their relationships dove deeper into their actual lives in a way that, that, that expressed itself tangibly by meeting practical needs through the resources that God had entrusted to them. So they took of what they had They sold it, and then they they took the proceeds from from what they had sold, and they gave it to any as they had need. There was an an, an involved, this was a costly, this was a, a, a very tangible expression of their common life together. The word koinonia comes up a few other places in the New Testament. Actually, the sentence that we'll read later in the service, right before our offertory, from Hebrews 13, uses the word koinonia to describe sharing what we have with those in need, uh, to share what we have. It means a partnership, a partaking in. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's this, this, this church um, outside Jerusalem, and he's, he's asking them to contribute to his collection that he's taking to the church in Jerusalem. And he, he, he names the collection with simply the word koinonia in, in chapter 8 and in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. That's what he calls the collection. It's the fellowship. It's the sharing in. It's the partnership. So we see in New Testament world that this word koinonia has a very tangible material um, rootedness from the other texts where it's used. This was something that was significant. If we looked at the end of, of Acts 4, where um, uh, Luke again is summarizing the early Christian community, he says, you know, there, there, was, uh, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So there we have it again, the, the fellowship being practiced, tangible, tangible needs being met. It's interesting in that passage I just read from Acts 4, it's a direct echo of Deuteronomy 15, verse 4, where God's speaking to his people and he says, there will be no needy person among you. And in Acts 4, Luke's saying, hey, I heard that. And now that the Holy Spirit has come in power upon the earliest Christian community, that ideal of Deuteronomy 15 is being fulfilled now in the New Testament, spirit-empowered community of God's people. When he says direct resonance and echo, there was no needy person among them. This was something that was actually being fulfilled. This longing that we have for true community and, and for family is actually being fulfilled in a practical and tangible way in the earliest church. So that's what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a sharing in, a, a deep sharing of life. It, it costs you something to sell a field. I mean, if any of you have a field and you had to sell it, sell it, it'd be, it'd be costly, wouldn't it? Right. And give that away. The question is how, how do we how do we actually do this? And then I want to get more practical um, to close. So how, how do we how do we participate, partake in life together like this? I want to note verse 46. Um, that Luke notes that they received, they broke their bread and homes together with glad and generous hearts. With glad and generous hearts. There's an echo here of Psalm 16 psalm 16 um, where where the psalmist writes therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices he says for you will not let your holy one see corruption um, or you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your holy one see corruption therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices well peter had just quoted from that psalm in his sermon on the day of pentecost and that psalm was quoted by peter as an instance of uh, of a prophetic look toward resurrection So what I mean to say is that what led to the glad and generous hearts was the reality of resurrection that these earliest Christians saw. They recognized the import, the gravity, the reality of what God had done in Jesus in raising him from the dead. And they knew that that changed literally everything, that this hope of resurrection, this life of resurrection that had now been poured out into them by the Holy Spirit literally changed everything about their lives. And so they had glad and generous hearts. If the Christian community of fellowship, this this family is to be marked by anything, and I want you to hear this, Church of the Cross, I'm preaching to myself, but I'm preaching to you too, it should be marked by joy, by this gladness, this generous heart. We start, we come into worship in response to the resurrection. We're not a people without hope. We're not a people who hope only in the goods of this life. We're a people who hope in the reality of a life to come. And so the earliest community knew beyond the shadow of a doubt, and that's where Glad and Generous Hearts is echoing that resurrection hope, that God was the source of their hope in their life, nothing else. And that because that was the case, everything that they had 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 been a gift. Everything that they enjoyed, everything that you have or that I have, is not the end of your hard labor and ingenuity and wit and everything else. If that's the way we think, we've got it all wrong and we'll never practice koinonia. But they knew that everything that they had was a gift from the grace of God. In Acts 4, in the summary in Acts 4, Luke writes, and there was great grace upon them all. This was a community that was marked by the grace of God, which was most wholly expressed in the power of resurrection. And that power of resurrection, which came through the Spirit, was now poured out upon them. So get the picture, not of a drab, dry, kind of, ah, I can't believe I have to sell this field and go give the stuff to this person, but get the picture of a rejoicing community, a community glad and generous because of God's gift to them in the resurrection. That's the how of koinonia, the hope of resurrection that changes everything. And that then enables this sharing to take place if i'm sharing in the life the 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 resurrection kingdom life of god and that's what we celebrate sunday after sunday if i'm sharing in that life and if i'm sharing in it not just by myself it's not something i i rejoice in on my own but if i'm sharing in that with people like you and we're sharing in that life together and celebrating that life together then how in the world if we share in the greater gift could we not then in trusting our lives to the Father, also share in the things that God has given to us, the resources that God has given to us. That's what drives koinonia, true fellowship in a community. And it's that uh, hope of resurrection, that gift of God's grace that undermines the greatest barriers to true fellowship. And I'll just mention two, individualism. Big one. Sometimes I wonder and I fear in the church: do we just preach a gospel of self-fulfillment? You know, come to Jesus so that your life can be taken care of and go find your life to the fullest, you know, your best life now kind of stuff. This is what it's all about. And so it's all about me and Jesus, but it, it leaves out the church. It leaves out the family of God. So individualism, this rampant disease, and it's not just a modern thing. It's been around since the garden. That's why Cain killed Abel and so on and so forth. It's around. It's part of the human condition. This hope of resurrection breaks the power of that because it says, you know, you're, you belong to something much deeper, and it's given to you, and it's communal, and you're brought into it. So individualism is destroyed. Materialism is one, and maybe that's a little bit more of our age, but certainly not just of our age. Jesus said, you know, woe to the man who, cal- consi- who considers that his life is the, the abundance or the, the, the gathering of all his possessions, you know. Um, so it's been around too, but materialism that says, you know, I'm going to be fulfilled. I'm going to have joy and happiness and peace by the stuff that I have. And I know that everybody in here probably believes that that's a rubbish, and I get that, and I do too, but I also know from my own heart, my own life, it's so easy to just fall back into that and just kind of, kind of grasp things, hold on to things, and be so, so afraid of just re- releasing and giving and going. So this reality of the grace of God, the resurrection power, breaks these barriers and leads us to living a life of fellowship. Okay, so I'm going to conclude with some practical steps, I hope. Um, so, one of the things to say from from this idea of koinonia is that discipleship growing up in christ being mature in jesus as a family is not something that you can do individually and and therefore it's something that you don't have control over do you have control over the needs of the person sitting next to you absolutely not absolutely not discipleship is not a check the box got it moving on with the rest of my agenda discipleship growth to maturity in jesus participating in koinonia implies something where i'm dependent and i've lost control because i've been placed into a family and i can't control my family you don't choose your family so i'm i'm brought into this place of 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 having to humble myself and uh, and lose control um it means that we're not independent but we're interdependent interdependent john stott said this he said um, we are all designed to be a burden to others you are designed to be a burden to me and i'm designed to be a burden to you and the life of the family, including the life of the local church family, should be one of mutual burdensomeness. It's a great picture. We're called to be a burden to one another, called to be a burden. So we're not independent, we're, we're interdependent. And let me say this lastly before I go to some practical things. The last thing I want to say is fellowship, koinonia, does not just exist between you and me at Church of the Cross in this expression. And, and we've got to say this. We've got to be really strong on this especially in a city like Boston where the church is such a minority. The koinonia of the spirit, the fellowship of the spirit, this fellowship that the the earliest believers are practicing extends beyond the fractured church of the 21st century into your neighborhood where you live with other believers. Between Church of the Cross and Line of Judah, or Church of the Cross and, and Jubilee, or Church of the Cross and the Chinese Bible Church of Greater Boston that meets here right before us. The fellowship has to go beyond. If, you, if we see it simply as me and, and you and me at Church of the Cross, we miss out on the fullness of this power at, 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 that's been unleashed in the world. It goes beyond. Okay. So at the heart of koinonia is this practical call to love james first john 3 i won't go there james 2 i won't go there but go there sometime and read those those chapters and just they talk about how you can't say that you love somebody and not actually start giving stuff up to meet their needs so the heart of this is when you take stuff that's valuable to you and you start to give it away to people in this community and it's not just in this community but i'm talking specifically about that here i think that's where the emphasis is in this text and you start giving it up to people who are in the family You start serving uh, those who are in the family. And you do this with glad and generous hearts in the power of the resurrection. So here's the question I have for you for last week, just to kind of think about. And then for this week, um, as we live this out together, how much time last week did you spend engaged in um, pouring out your life for the sake of someone else in this community? So think about it for just, just a second. How much time... Um, did you spend last week pouring out your life for the sake of of someone else in this community? I think our greatest resource is time. Obviously, we're all way too busy. Um, I know that by trying to get coffee and lunch with a lot of you, and know how long and how hard it is to make that happen. Time is our greatest resource. If I give you an hour, I can't ever give it back. If I give you a dollar, I could probably find another one somewhere else, but time is so valuable so where are we taking that thing that's most valuable and, and giving it up for the sake of others in our community now with that in mind let me give you some pictures of what koinonia might look like it might look like sitting with somebody in the hospital somebody in our community who's who, who ends up in the hospital it might look like just just going up going spending some time there sitting down with somebody it might mean answering your phone when you don't want to answer your phone Somebody calls, now nobody knows their phone number anymore. We all just have it plugged into our phone, and so we know who's calling. So we can screen those calls at a time when they're convenient for us. Or you could, you know, it might just mean, you know, inconvenient, this person's calling, but I'm going to take that call, and I'm going to to be a listening ear. Or opening your door, Um, opening up your door with someone. Um, or when, when you don't want to. It, it might mean supplying food. You know, one of the examples I would say of koinonia in our community has been when, um, when people have had a baby or when they've gotten sick and there's been an, an outpouring of love expressed in making meals and dropping those meals off. There's a lot of love that goes into making a meal um, and giving that to someone in our community. I, I love that, and I've seen that, and I, I, I want to um, say thanks to God for, for the witness of that in our community. Um, you know, it, it might mean thinking specifically tonight when you go home. And I would encourage, I challenge you to do this about your neighborhood group. And if you're not in a neighborhood group, well, just think about the people that you remember from Church of the Cross. And if you don't remember anyone from Church of the Cross, think about the sermon about Koinonia for a while and let that soak in for a little bit. <laughs> but think about, just seriously, give it some intentional time. They devoted themselves, remember, it was intentionality to the fellowship. Think about the people and, and just go through the list. And maybe it means you're going to take an hour this week And you're going to just write some emails or write some handwritten notes and drop them in the mail to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. It may be as simple as that, a step like that. It's going to cost us something. True koinonia is going to cost us something. Think about what that might be for this week and and apply that to your life. I I think we, we, we implicitly think we understand koinonia, but I think Uh, In reality, sometimes it's so far from us because we're so consumed with our busy schedules and everything that we have to do. And so I want to encourage you um, in the power and the hope of the resurrection to devote yourself uh, this week, this fall, to this tangible, real thing called koinonia as a church. Amen.